Welcome back to Awakened Exchanges. I'm your host, Jay Rich, and I'm actually recording this episode in Austin, Texas, and I'll apologize in advance for any random noises as I'm actually recording out of my hotel room right now. And I actually just had uh, maid service right as I attempted the first round of this. So uh, I'm nearing the end of my stay here and preparing for the amazing stops I've got planned for the trip back to Portland. After spending a few weeks here in Austin, I think I'm definitely honing in on the future home of Awakened Exchanges and the ARC community. I'm incredibly grateful for all of the amazing experiences that I've got to have here. And uh, that includes getting to hang out with a bunch of comedians that were more than gracious. Adam Ray, Brian Redband, very nice people. Very glad to have been here and got to uh, see them perform a few times. Um, Personally, things have been going very well this year, and I truly appreciate all of you helping the podcast and vapes continue to build steam. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, though, I do listen to the listeners, so please email me from our website or contact me on Twitter at Awaken Exchanges. This is our first episode after the long Great Awakening Map series, and I hope you enjoy the change of pace for these next couple of interviews. Uh, we will be having some more deep dive episodes coming down the road as well, um, but I hope to have a diverse and interesting schedule for the rest of the year. I hope you keep joining us back here for the exchange. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the intro this week, but I do want to talk a little bit about this continuing COVID crisis that we're going through. We were trending in the right direction for a good chunk of the year, and here in the United States, things seem mostly okay. But I really hope that people are still taking things seriously. Outbreaks are still happening, and mutations could nullify a lot of the vaccinations that we've got going on. I know that a fair amount of people have already gotten the vaccine. Uh, I even got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine myself. Um, I don't, know, don't get me wrong. I was a little hesitant, and I can completely understand that hesitancy to, for any of us to trust a vaccine that we reduce the completion time by up to 90%, but I do think it's still a necessary step in order to contain the variants and any potentially more serious spread down the road. I just hope that people remember the lessons from a century ago. If we consider 2020 the beginning, like 1918 for the flu uh, pandemic, then it would be the fall and winter of 2021 where we could see a similar mutation and spread of the virus like they did. Let's be really clear about that pandemic a century ago. It's thought to have started in 1917 in the trenches of World War I and then mutated into a slightly deadly uh, version in the spring of 1918 in, I want to say, Kansas at an army base. Um, then it was the massive uh, flu deaths coming in the late 1918 and 1919. They say there were actually four waves. So if 2020 was only the 1917 in this scenario instead of 1918, then we could be in store for massive mutations and a much higher death rate with people getting sick of precautions. I highly doubt they're going to want to try and go back into a quarantine kind of situation. Uh, lots of things are opening back up, and we see situations like India where there's simply no immediate way to slow it down. If a variant escapes that finds its way around the vaccines, then we're all back at square one. We could be getting yearly shots for a while, or even worse, it may just be what we have to do. Um, that said, I think we need to remember to follow the science. Right now, science says that if you're outdoors and vaccinated, it's okay to be, you know, without a mask at this point. Unless you're in a huge crowd, standing right next to people, things like that. If you've got space, then, you know, 
take that as it is. You know, sun still seems to kill the virus, and good air circulation keeps it from spreading. So it, you can afford to be outside and a little bit less cautious if you're already vaccinated. It's about getting to that herd immunity, which it seems like science is starting to say we may not actually reach at this point. Um, so let's let's not ignore the importance of our own immune systems as well. All right, We have a duty to stay active and keep ourselves healthy so that our immune system can actually respond and fight off infections easier. It's not just about you know the virus or social distancing or all these things. We need to have a way to balance things where we can stay healthy, but also keep businesses open. Um, yeah, well, I'm probably rambling a little too much, so let's get into a much more pleasant topic. This week's interview with the traveling nobody. John Folak started his career as a cargo pilot, but he has transitioned into being a full-time author and public speaker. He's written a book on the hero's journey within all of us, as well as a four-book series on psychedelics and journeying within. I want to thank him for coming on to the exchange and sharing this delightful conversation with me. I really did enjoy my time with him, and I hope that you do as well. Before we get to the interview, here's a brief rundown of our sponsors. First off, I want to thank all of you personally for your support. Just listening to this podcast and sharing it with your friends gives me a reason to keep providing the best content that I can. If you have the means and would like to contribute personally, please take a look at our Patreon page where you will get access to exclusive content and deals. As for our other sponsors, Awaken Vapes was the first of the Awaken brands and has been helping you modulate your high with CBD-only, high-terpene vape products since 2019. Genesis Farms has been making the highest quality medicinal RSO, among many other fantastic products, starting with the medical community back before 2010. And last but not least, the Caramel Corn Company, bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us wherever else you're listening. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. I know every podcast says that, but that's because it really does help spread the word. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. All right, now. Stay tuned, and thank you for listening to Awakened Exchanges. Genesis Farms was founded on the belief in cannabis's ability to heal. Genesis Farms is more than a brand. They're a compassionate community of like-minded folks that generate top-quality cannabis products made with love and care. Community outreach is always on their mind, and their partnerships with Grow for Vets and Parents for Pot was just the beginning of what they hope to accomplish in the coming years. You can find their products on the best dispensary shelves across the state of Oregon. Their RSO is the most consistent quality in the state. Their tinctures are second to none, and their personal massage oil will have you and your partner coming back for more. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and ask for them in your local dispensary today. Don't forget to listen to Sean's interview right here on Awakened Exchanges. It's episode number three. The Caramel Corn Company is bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. Made with premium ingredients in small, handcrafted batches and completely gluten-free. Their flavors include original, roasted cashew, salted almond, mixed nut, 
spicy sriracha, white morsel macadamia, peanut butter, butterscotch, and my personal favorites, chocolate drizzle and raspberry caramel apple. I can't say enough about how delicious this caramel corn is. It makes a great gift any time of the year. You can find them for sale in Portland area market of choice locations and hopefully again online soon when they get stocked back up. Please visit www.caramelcorncompany.com for more information today. And remember, buying local supports small businesses and keeps your money building your community. Last but not least, Awaken Vapes has been bringing you some of the highest quality CBD vapes since ringing in the new year of 2019. I became passionate about cannabis after a car wreck left me with major migraines and no prescribed pills helped alleviate the symptoms. Having only tried cannabis a handful of times in high school and college, it was a doctor's recommendation that led me to give it another try. Only then did I realize that we'd all been at least a little misled about the health benefits of this amazing plant. Despite an unexpected break because of the vape ban and then a global health crisis with COVID, the business is stronger than ever, and we invite you to check out our updated website today. We are still offering our three varieties with new and improved terpene formulations for enhanced flavor to go along with the custom blended effect profiles. Check back at www.awakenedvapes.com for any updates, and you can always email us about wholesaling or white labeling opportunities. Hey, John, welcome to Awakened Exchanges. I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today on the podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate being here. So you started your work in this world as a cargo pilot. How'd you get into that? Yeah, well, the real start for me there was, it was aviation, for sure, just for clarity. Okay. And I got that idea, I suppose, as I got my first call to adventure in the world. Okay. And what this basically looked like, in short, was I was fresh out of high school. And I had no idea what to do. I really didn't have any productive guidance in that way whatsoever, what to do with your career, yourself yeah. for life, yeah. So, in the absence of that, I just went to junior college. First two years, it seemed to make sense, knock out some core classes. I kind of had the idea that I suppose I was going to go to college. I yeah. just didn't know which way or what angle. And anyway, I sat down in frustration at one point. And so, I suppose this was the first time I sunk into a kind of meditation. Okay. Yeah, and in that space, I essentially was given the idea from the know-not-where-the-ethers to pursue aviation. And I, I thought about it a little bit, and I thought why not? I applied. And then from there on out, of course, I was met with many challenges along the way, but that was essentially the path that ended up starting my, my real life's journey, I think in many ways. So how did you uh, go about the aviation side? Well, at that point, I was just finishing up those core education classes, so I needed to do that anyway. So I had about a semester left of doing that, and in that time frame, I applied to a college that was in southern Illinois. I was living in Chicago. That's okay. where I was born and raised. Yeah. Awesome. So Southern Illinois College had an aviation program. Oh, cool. And they accepted me for basically like the following term. Uh, my best friend in high school uh, decided to forego college, and he went into the Army as an avionics mechanic, and then he ended up uh, doing a few tours uh, flying Blackhawks over there. So mm. uh, he's still doing uh, 
repair, contract repair kind of stuff out there for the Army. But uh, ah, scary when you start thinking about all the overseas stuff, you know? Exactly. And that was definitely an avenue I was never too particularly interested in, just the military route. So how did you decide to go in the cargo Well, that was just the life path. So, so much of this as it pertains to what became seemingly my journey was just living out elements of of the hero's journey. And oftentimes you just don't know what you're doing. No, (laughs) you stumble through and you you find your path as you go. (laughs) That's, That's exactly right. So this was just a more formal stumbling for me at that point. So college wrapped up. I went to that school for two years and everything was good, made some connections, got the degree that I sought. And I came back to Chicago now, not fully knowing what to do next. Eventually, I got hired flight instructing. Okay. There at the Midway Airport in Chicago. I lived very close to Midway. It's very cool. The, yeah, the second major airports there. Yeah, O'Hare and Midway. Right. O'Hare's a little bit farther from me, but I was pretty close, a couple miles away from Midway as my childhood house. So. I got hired instructing there, and I did that for about a year until I just reached extreme burnout. <laughs> I just couldn't take it anymore. And that caused me to just network through students, really, people I was, I was teaching and actively engaged with there. And I got a connection to a job in Kansas City, which was mm, essentially yeah. Yeah, aerial mapping, which wow. that company was great. That was in many ways a bubble in the world. That was like one of the most positive versions of the unknown that I (laughs) jumped into. It was a job where we essentially mapped cities in the U.S. and in Canada with pictures, and it was contracted through Google. The pay was good enough. Yeah, and the the time that we worked was great, week on, week off schedule. And then even when we were working, there wasn't really a lot of work at hand because conditions had to be pristine for us to actually work. So it gave me a lot of time to explore other things and to read and to really just get to start to know myself, essentially. Yeah. A lot of people don't get to spend that time, you know, learning who they are. Right, right, right. And that opened up a lot of other avenues, I think, along the journey. And so it specifically what came from that was my first love and then that turned into my first heartbreak and depression which led me to seek natural cures for that which led me really into the the supernatural aid portion of of my journey which would have been exploring the psychedelics let's talk a little bit about that uh when did that start for you that was 2013 i would say if i was to put the beginning if i was to put a real pin in that that was when i was i was working that job at the time things were pretty good financially my my life and everything else but then i was smashed with heartbreak yeah and i've been there we all have at some point i'm sure it's rough right i mean and and that is the unknown too because Mm -hmm. for me and i think for a lot of young men this is not uncommon you're just carrying certain worldviews certain models into your relationship and they've previously served you in the past they've worked with your friendships absolutely right yeah and then they don't work any longer (laughs) and the inevitable consequences of that is you're shown in some way that through catastrophe and that's that's what it was for me so there was no real repairing that i had to accept it and then i had to essentially build back with something that would at least not deliver that same exact problem or set of catastrophes in my life. The way you just said that actually reminds me of something I've been really focused on the last couple of years. And that's the, uh, the imagery of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. you know, where you, uh, you get burnt down to the ground. You, you have to get rid of everything, but you have to rise back up and, and come through those challenges as 
a new being, really. Right. The renewal. Yes. The death and rebirth, which is a constant theme, of course, with the use of any kind of worldview reevaluation, but certainly with the psychedelics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So after the heartbreak, uh, you got into psychedelics a little bit. Right. That started my path of of questioning. And it was simply because I wasn't going to go any kind of mainstream psychiatric route. Okay. So that wasn't going to be a part of my process. And I think I just Googled cures for depression. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think it was as simple as that. And it might have been any number of things that started leading me to it. But I do think I was doing that at one point. Do you, did you have any previous like cannabis experience with there or anything? Nothing. I did not. Yeah. I was an alcoholic. That oh, was wow. my drug of choice. Yeah, really. I, yeah. I uh, have that in my family, so I am very aware of my tendencies. So I, uh, I, I went with the cannabis side, ended up going that direction. But uh, that's probably the wiser, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So yeah, man. Interestingly enough, I didn't. I I never had smoked weed before. I had never taken any of the psychedelics, of course, before. I didn't have any aversion to necessarily, or I suppose I did because I never used them, but I never thought about them as being evil. No, but you you get that, uh, oh, it's just the stoners that use that. You do. Yeah, so I did fall under that war on drugs programming for sure. Oh, for me, me too. I actually didn't start using until um, I was in a massive car accident when I was 23. Um, I hit the back of my seat in my 66 Mustang so hard I ripped the seat out of the floor and uh, came forward, smashed my head. Uh, eventually, I ended up uh, getting migraines about a, a couple of weeks later, and they would last two or three days at a time, take me out of commission completely. Um, and after a year or so, a doctor finally just kind of said, have you tried weed? And I'm like... Uh, sure. I guess I can, not since high school, but, uh, and that kind of led me into the medical cannabis world in 2005, 2006. And I take it that's been pretty helpful for you. Very much so. In fact, it's almost been prophylactic as far as the, the migraines and headaches are concerned. If I go a few weeks without having anything, sometimes I'll start to get one of the visuals that comes across. But then I just go smoke a little bit and it goes away. It never uh, develops into a full-blown migraine anymore. So Yeah, it's amazing how much of a medicine cannabis truly is. I, well. well, we used to get so many cannabinoids in our bodies because we fed our beef, uh, mm. you know, hemp. We fed, you know, all of the meat. You know, we also grew. We had it in our medicine. We had it everywhere. And then for 100 years, we've just ignored it because of William Randolph Hearst and yes. all the uh, reefer madness era. So it's been interesting to see the studies coming out now saying that a lot of these chronic pain, chronic illness kind of things are being linked to cannabinoid deficiencies because our endocannabinoid system is so intricately linked to our nervous system that we just don't talk about it. But I think the the next decade or so, there's going to be uh, a lot more change, a lot of people getting informed. Yeah, certainly it seems that way, especially just with more states going legal recreationally. I keep wondering if Texas is going to head that route. Uh, even their medical program seems... Uh, fairly tight at this point you would never know that weed is not legal at least not in austin (laughs) (laughs) truly you go anywhere on a hike or on a trail Mm -hmm. the lake you just gonna smell it there's oh yeah yeah. (laughs) austin i i was offered uh fairly quickly oh do you have some oh i brought some on my road trip thanks though (laughs) nice man yeah that kind of does speak to the vibe here it does it does so uh what was your first experience like with the uh 
So it's yeah, like so getting right back to it, and we could continue to, to branch Please. off with can- cannabis too, because I do liken cannabis to being a sort of mind manifester, a kind of psychedelic. It has been for me. I use it definitely for meditations mm-hmm. and you know uh, keeping myself balanced, as opposed to letting my mind run away with itself. I do too these days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the same way. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, so from the heartbreak and then searching what might be a natural cure for this, I, I came to psilocybin, the active drug in the magic mushroom. Absolutely. And there has been shown to be benefits for various kinds of psychological disorders. And I think more than anything, just the basic take that I was coming to it from was I was in essentially a loop, right? That's what yeah. a lot of depressive cycles are. They're loops that you can't really get out of, even though you might want to. Much like the uh, depression, I like... I liken it to anxiety. A lot of people have experienced the stress and anxiety. It's that circular motion. You start getting in your head. You start reinforcing those negative thoughts. And it's the same with depression. It's just a different cycle. That's absolutely the way that I saw it to be presenting itself in my life. And not only that, it was like, just what I said, you can't stop it. Even though you know there are reasons for it not Mm -hmm. having to exist, it it just has a momentum of its own. So at least with the the ways that I had to deal with it, which were just meditation, which I don't, yeah. I'm not trying to take anything away from no, that. It was helpful. It is, yeah. but it takes a lot more to do meditation alone and a lot of time that Westerners like us haven't really been involved in in most of our life. That's exactly right. And in short, that's probably what catapulted me right to the mushroom. Now, it took a while. I, I had to look into it for about a year and a half. Okay. Before so I, you actually did some research. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. And it wasn't because I was researching it necessarily the whole time. It was more realistically, hmm, I'll check that out. Looked at it a little bit, right? Yeah. Saw some of the benefits. Thought, okay, it's not toxic, really. But you had to let it sit in your mind. Yes. Yeah. You had to let it sit and grow. And I think that's the way the call to adventure works a lot of the times, too. Yeah, it takes some percolation. It definitely does. You might hear it. You might begin to investigate. You might deny that. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the refusal of the call, right? And that, as you said, could take some time to percolate before you're motivated enough to really pull the trigger. So to that point, actually, about a year later from that heartbreak, I, I was still drinking at the time. I was still working this relatively comfortable job. And I remember being drunk at the Mall of America, of, of all places. We were working up there in Minneapolis. And I suppose it was a fine enough adventure. I was out there with a friend. We went to a comedy bar at night. But I remember waking up the next day and just eating some terrible lunch at the, the hotel bar. Mm-hmm. And just, I was sick. I think I was physically feeling just run down, yeah. basically. Worn out. Worn out. Knowing almost my soul, knowing this is not good. This is not yeah. good for you. Or just my mind. My mind basically knew this, too. And so at that point, I committed to understanding how to grow the mushroom and then doing it. Oh. Yeah. So uh, you actually grew your own. I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. So from there until about the next six months or so, it it took me to to learn how to do that. A little bit of trial and error process and then to successfully have my own. How did that go for you? It, It went okay. There was a little bit of a learning curve, but it worked. And so then once I had it, I, I had to explore it. I had to consume it and see what kind of benefits I would get. So that was a, a little miniature road of trials. It took me three attempts to really break through okay. the mushroom. So the first time I took it, it was a light amount. 
And just to put some uh, rough numbers on this, it was about a dried gram of the okay. mushroom, which is pretty light and exploratory. Yeah. Introductory. I, I use that. That's kind of my micro dose level okay. when yeah. I do that at this point. Um, about two and a half grams is where I, I start to actually notice the effects enough where I feel it, you know. Uh, what about you? What was... It was similar at that point in time. Okay. Yeah, so the gram amount I took wasn't enough to do much. And, of course, I didn't use it in the yeah. most constrained set and setting. I, I took it and I went out to a bar yeah. to meet people. I didn't know what I was doing. No, yeah. we all do. Yeah. We're like, let's watch a movie with a friend, yes. you know, let's do whatever. And that ended up being the, the next couple okay. But, yeah, but exactly. It just didn't quite deliver and I suppose I sort of noticed a few things or, or just maybe inner thoughts that might not have normally come to the, the front and center, but not much. So the next day I did kind of what you said there. I doubled it. I went okay. to about two, two and a half grams. And that, uh, it delivered more, but I still, I think, went out to a bar at the end of it. Well, and you're doing it close together, so your body, yeah. you know, things like that. There's, yeah, something in that as well, too. You do develop that tolerance pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've recently found um, acid as well as uh, psilocybin have a cross-tolerance issue. So if you do them too close together, you still don't feel the effects either. Really? So, yeah, even if uh, I want to... If I'm planning it out, I will wait at least three days in between either of them. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That becomes challenging. I don't know if you've ever gone to any of the Burning Man events. I want to, but okay, I haven't yeah. gone yet. Yeah, because when you're there, it's like when in Rome. Exactly. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> you don't uh, want to waste those three days. Uh, no, <laughs> no. There's a Oregon Country Fair. It uh, started in, I want to say, 79. The Grateful Dead showed up, and they started playing this thing. Uh, I can't. 79 it had to be earlier than that because they had their 50th anniversary uh, in 2019 um and uh so i was there for i've been there a few times but that's very much the same vibe it's mushrooms and acid and everything all over the place people in you know makeup and costumes yeah. and just it's it's a different experience to be on mushrooms in a setting with as open as that let's go there yeah 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 right but it's worthwhile, right? It is, get, absolutely. You know, the community feel yes. is different. It's certainly different. That's one of the first things I noticed about those events is just that undeniable feeling of home. Yes. They often tell you that, welcome home, when you come yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. You're here, you're one of us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so the second go with the mushroom was, like I said, delivering a little bit more. I recall being in a bar at that point too, and I was with a friend who wasn't, taking the mushroom yeah. but who was aware that i was and i remember that was one of the first times that i i sort of became totally detached from myself so it was mm. in effect i suppose and i just remember watching m myself as well as the conversation we were having and then everyone in the bar being sort of like actors you know, yes. playing their roles and you when know. you realize the world is a stage and uh, you're like oh that's what they meant by it that's the the exact shakespeare quote i used to describe that trip report and, oh. and it was just fitting for yes. the exact reason that you put forth too that's what it seemed like the world was stage all men and women have their roles they well, take their parts in. we're all sitting there with what we want to happen and we're acting towards what we think is yeah. going to get us to that direction as opposed to necessarily just being genuine all the time you you yeah. kind of have those fears and questions and oh is this person gonna like me or is this person you know gonna think i'm weird or whatever else it's uh 
it's interesting to get in your head there. Right. You're really upholding a lot of the cultural expectations. And mm-hmm. I think the antidote to that is what you just said, too. If you can engage in it as much as is possible, a kind of radical authenticity helps at the mm-hmm. very least break you into something that is more real, that almost seems yeah. to have more tangibility to it in some sense, more meaning, certainly. I also think, and I think we'll get to this later, but uh, can open up some of those portals. Yes. I think that that's a precursor or a requirement maybe for actually getting into yeah opening up some of those portals right right so so yeah that was the second time around but it still didn't deliver anything that i had read about or that i was seeking for and and what i mean by that is i had come to expect a a real life-changing experience now, had you been reading like Terrence McKenna? Yeah, a lot of McKenna. He was probably one of my first entry points. Terrence and, and Dennis McKenna, for sure. I definitely Terrence, uh, Time Wave Zero, and all of the stuff that I, I heard about. Actually, heard about that as a kid and had been fascinated. Um, read a little bit more on Dennis, um, especially over the last decade or so. And uh, on a random tangent here, yeah. he actually does uh, an ayahuasca retreat in south america that he hosts a few times a year it's like a week-long thing at saltara do you know or do you know what i don't know which one that is Uh, i'd have to look it up it's in my email at this point but it's it's been if i'm going to do it that's what's been calling out you know do it with somebody that has that kind of experience and that kind of a level to usher you into it for sure man yeah i think dennis was associated with at least in some way uh, a place called saltara which is costa rica okay and they're uh, a center that is pretty darn well known for being one of the better ones there are out there so yeah i've looked into it as well have you uh, experimented with that at all ayahuasca i have in costa rica ah. but not there i was at a different center yeah and actually one other time too in the states i found a traveling group of people who we'll have states. to get to that yeah. so but please yeah. go but yeah so back to to the mushroom so the third time that i dove in i was really looking to to get a breakthrough experience meaning yeah. to experience the transcendent the mystical i just quite had not touched on it in, until that third go so what i did for that third time is now i had the sense enough i'm gonna stay at home i'm gonna limit my situation and just try to embrace the medicine so i doubled a, the dose about again so it was now close to the heroic dose like almost the, five grams and it was in there somewhere it actually wasn't in um in all reality it wasn't i still took about three grams but i mixed it with lemons mm. i don't know if you ever heard of this the, no. the, yeah the idea behind this is referred to as the lemon tech okay in these mushroom circles and what you're doing is you're allowing the citric acid from the lemons to mix with the mushroom and so more bioavailable maybe mm-hmm. well i don't know if it's necessarily more bio- bioavailable but what it's starting to do is break the psilocybin down into psilocin okay essentially in the cup or the glass or whatever before this process would naturally happen in the body anyway it does happen gotcha because psilocin yeah. is what is actively really crossing the blood brain barrier and such so or causing the effect yeah. i should say yeah so anyway so that's just happening in a cup or something first and then when you ingest it it just gets to work much quicker. Gotcha. Uh, some people have told me I'm crazy in this, but I'll just put it out there as a note. I have noticed that this seems to act like doubling. Really? In fact, that's why I said, yeah, it seemed closer to getting to that like heroic dose amount. Yeah. So if you're ever looking to stretch out as much mileage it. as you yeah. can out of your mushrooms, yeah, mix them with lemon, but certainly not for the faint of heart. For you, be uh, I tend to do teas and uh, okay. I've taken the highest dose I've ever taken was 14 and a half grams. And uh, oh 
God, man. it was it was intense. Um, but I also I've I've tried to write on about seven and a half grams, mm-hmm. and it felt like I was pulling it. It like was coming through me as opposed mm-hmm. to me writing it down, and that was something where it made a, a big impression for sure. Yeah, you were the medium, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a very cool thing. I've never experienced myself acting like that through writing, but through conversation I have, mm. where it seems like you are yeah. a similar medium, a channel. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what it was, basically. It was like I was having a conversation with myself. Yeah. Uh, except it wasn't myself. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> but yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a part, a part of the self, perhaps the capital S yes. self. Yeah. So something in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yes. Then we get into the source and yes. yeah, oh yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. All the shades of gray between seem to be what we get in touch with with some of these tools, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that third time around did it. That three grams mixed with the lemons, that that broke me through. And I was, in the beginning of it, sitting down, I was watching a movie. I was oh. watching The Doors, the Oliver Stone. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I couldn't finish it. <laughs> I couldn't even watch it. I don't know why it was on. I think from, from the day previous, actually, when I was trying, I started with that movie. But anyhow... The idea there was that I broke through. I remember, of course, walking outside. It was the middle of the day at this point, too. I was watching my concrete driveway swirl with the eddies, and it seemed fluid. It seemed liquid, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And along with it, though, too, I just finally felt like, oh, this is what was being talked about. This is what I had previously missed. It was firmly and distinctly different from just having these psychoanalytic or philosophical ideas from the day or two previous. So that was great. Eventually, I made it back into my, my place, and I, I guess because I was tired, I ended up just laying down, just sporadically, and so closing my eyes. And up until that point, I hadn't done that. Not because I wasn't aware of it, I just suppose no. I was gripped by the experience. And yeah. Yeah. You, once the visuals start, you want to see the visuals, <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean. <laughs> At first, for sure, you're yeah. captivated, yeah. Exactly, that's the right word for it. You are, yeah, you're gripped by it. But then eventually, I did go down, I did venture in, and I received some kind of healing, for lack of any other better descriptor. That's what it seemed like. It seemed like I was in touch with the feminine element of the mushroom or the experience or myself, any of these things. I don't know. But it was very feminine and it was very healing. I just felt very cared for, very loved in a nutshell, really. And then I, I did, too, notice that it seemed to be able to engage in dialogue. And, and I've explored a little bit of that, but I suppose more than anything, what I got from that experience was, wow, there's a lot in there that can, can be accessed yeah. if you come Th- to it. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't know, and there's just a whole wealth spring of potential benefit mm-hmm. if you can come to it with, with a solid intent and then work with it. So I guess in a way what I'm saying is that really launched me. I knew this is going to have to be on my path. But I had sort of recovered from the heartbreak acutely and the, the depression, I suppose. But now I realized if there is a way that I could continue to, to go into the other world and be informed with um, eternal wisdoms and yeah. truths, that this is, this is seemingly the way. This would have to be it. So then I just began to use the mushroom over and over and over again, um, basically with intention and for uh, experience for mm, the ability to to put together a model that would work better than the previous alcoholic and materialist one and, and the mushrooms were just helping me do that now uh 
like I still drink on occasion, but I never go to excess at this point anymore. Is there, is that been the case with you for the most part? I quit cold Turkey wow. June 5th of 2016. Congratulations. So, thank you, man. Yeah. I That's appreciate awesome. That. Yeah. So five years is coming up. Five years is coming right on up. Yeah. What it basically was for me, I do like to mention this because it was a direct result of using a mushroom and then deciding to try to integrate its lessons, which looked like writing for me. So June 5th came around of 2016 and I was writing uh, the first book that I ended up publishing and I just said to myself, because I was drunk the night before, (laughs) yeah, out on the road, I was in Atlanta actually, I remember, and I said, you're either going to write and be a better human or you're going to drink. That's it. It was really clear. Wow. Yeah, it was one of those, I guess, little bits of something that you come into and you kind of say to yourself, "That's, that's undeniable. Like, I can't argue with that as much as my animal mind would like to. And in in that way, it didn't really seem to be coming from my impression, although my impression was a part of it, but it seemed like a higher bit of wisdom that was put before me. And I felt very fortunate to have that. So I said, okay, well, I have now this task at hand, write this book. And that's what I'm going to do. And that was it. That first book, was that The Hero's Journey? Yeah, Psychedelic Hero's Journey of a Traveling Nobody. That's what that one was. And it took me about a year and a quarter to formally get it done, to write it. So that was the thing I had to do to, I suppose, keep me away from the temptation, which was alcohol. Now, were you still uh, piloting at the time? Yeah, I was still working that that very cushy, comfortable job, that mapping gig. Yeah. That was helpful during this time (laughs) because I was able to not work that much. And it seemed in many ways like the universe really did present me with every opportunity to write. I just wrote for that year and a quarter. I didn't work much at all. Even when I was on the road, it seemed like we had bad weather constantly. So I just, I just wrote it all out. And that then essentially presented me with the next thing to do in life. And that's often how the journey goes. You don't have to know the whole thing, but just yeah. the next breadcrumb is usually enough. Yeah. That uh, sounds very similar to what's been going on with me the last uh, year, actually. Um, basically, since October, I haven't been at the full-time cannabis job that I, I was at. I uh, left there, and I started working almost exclusively on my vape cartridge company, Awaken oh, Vapes. Nice. And uh, from there, all of a sudden, I realized, oh, well... I'm starting to roll this into there. I'm getting enough kind of income coming in to where I can I can make the podcast and the vapes my focus. And from there, it's uh, yeah, it's just been the the universe opening up. Oh yeah, you've got enough money. You're you're not really worried about this. You don't have to think about money. Here's this. Go take your road trip. Take your travel. Take this. You know, do these next steps. And uh, yeah, it's trying to trying to listen to it. Yeah, those points in the journey are really useful, too, because it opens you up to new opportunities, obviously, in some basic way. But it seems more than that, because it's not just new opportunity. It's like a new way that you can engage with this new world, seemingly, because we're always getting feedback, of course, from the world based upon what we're bringing to the table. Right. So when you're involved in this process of growth and transformation and all that, and then you unplug and you and you go take a road trip or something like that. Now you're really able to unleash some magic because you're going to treat it differently than perhaps you did in the past. Absolutely. And then it's going to treat you differently. Differently, and then what comes from that is unpredictable entirely. So that's kind of the cool part of all of that. Yeah. Definitely agree. Very cool. Yeah, man. So what uh, was the next step for you? So after writing that book, basically what it became was 
that I, I didn't know. I guess that was kind of just languishing for a while. It didn't take too terribly long for the network of life to mm -hmm. dial me up. And what it looked like for me was I had a Facebook uh, group that I was involved with, which had some of the members from the first ayahuasca ceremony that I went to as, as a part mm. of it. And we, I guess, communicated loosely here or there, but not even usually directly one-on-one. -on -one. It was more just through the post, someone yeah. put them or whatever, which was cool. But one of the members sent me a invite basically for a, a traveling ayahuasca group here in the United States. And he remembered where I had lived at this point. I was living in Kansas city yeah. still. So they were going to be in Kansas or, or Oklahoma within a relatively short drive of, of my hometown. And he said, Hey, you might want to check this out. And that was perfect. That's exactly what I needed. That was the next thing. So that would have been your second uh, time right, with ayahuasca. Right. Want to tell us a little bit about the first? Yeah, sorry. I no, probably please. put that a little bit out of order. But the, the no. first w was something that I went to because, as I was telling you, I was exploring the mushroom for a while. And initially it was healing, but in all honesty, it just developed into curiosity. And at one point with the mushroom, I asked to see the all. I wanted mm -hmm. to know what the ground level of a being was. And it showed me a representation of the figure eight essentially yeah so it showed me the infinite and then the impression was this is intelligence consuming itself feeding itself into itself and this is it this is not us we are the mushroom you are humans and we're branches of evolutionary life of it but we have more knowledge and if you want to see this is what it is and i suppose it was a reflection of me being unable to process that at the time but i didn't know how to process it i didn't know what to do with it there's that's a hard thing to process <laughs> period i mean even when you have an idea i mean it's a lot <sighs> no it is for sure and i i suppose really what i'm trying to get at the heart at of though was that the feeling was oh i guess we are the imagination of ourselves Mm, that's an interesting phrase. I like v that. Very kind of like Alan Watts, very Buddhist yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And we're just here for the experience. And there's so much that I want to put on top of that. I want to put, no, I, it's not just the experience. It's growth and it's the classroom of consciousness and all this. And I think there might be value there. But at that time, all that the experience was telling me was imagination of yourself basically for experience. So this left me feeling rather glass half full. And I thought, well, I can't just take their word for it. I'm yeah. going to have to go investigate another plant teacher and, and see what she thinks in this case. So I did. Ayahuasca was the next one on the list. And that was why I went to investigate that question. So and that I, was Costa Rica, right? Correct. That was Costa Rica. Yeah, I found a, a center in in Costa Rica. And what really called to me was one of their promotional YouTube mm. videos, a song. Okay. that they had and it just really vibed with me that was it i didn't have to look into it any more than that i just felt like okay this must be booked yeah and then i did and the, the rest kind of led into the rest of the journey so at that ceremony i was given essentially the same teaching the okay. the infinite we are the imagination of ourselves but it was much more concerned seemingly with me with my emotional construct as the questioner as the human the hero, and, which we all are. And glass overflowing was the only way to describe it, just pure unbound love and bliss in all of that. However, once you get that, what do you do with it, right? Yeah. Coming home. It was also at this 
center that I met someone who began to refer me to Joseph Campbell's work. Mm, amazing. The Hero's Journey. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I had maybe listened to a lecture, maybe. I don't even think I knew what The Hero's Journey was, like the cycle yeah. of it. So I got back and I thought, oh, I really have to do that. It seems important. And then as soon as I began doing that, paired up with me feeling like I had too much information to just sit on, yeah. I realized that I had to outline the story with the hero's journey and, and present it in book form. And then in many ways that took me into what my stance began to evolve into something of just an everyman explorer of the human condition and of the visionary states paired up with this. And then consciously pulling out of, of my story what seemed to have been happening anyway, which is consistent with like the hero's journey yeah. or the archetypal cycle we're all living here. Um, we're all that fool. Yeah. Uh, moving along the path, trying to figure out the next steps. That's it. Yeah. The fool to the hero. And mm -hmm. that, that's the evolutionary path for sure. Seemingly. Yeah. And yeah. so did you, uh, so I got into Joseph Campbell because my degrees in screenwriting. So I was very intimate with the, uh, the hero's journey and the three act structure and things like that. And then you start going, well, the surprises are what really make it and the ends and all these other things that you're trying to work towards. And then, uh, I started diving into Jung mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. Ayahuasca has been on my list for a while, uh, but um, I've had some DMT, um, but that pre-breakthrough moment. Mm -hmm. Did you actually get a full blast off yeah. into another universe with your experience? With Ayahuasca, both times around, really, yeah. Yeah? yeah I got the breakthrough. Or pretty damn close to what I think <laughs> the breakthrough is. For, for sure the first time. And the second time around, I could elaborate a little bit on that yeah. and tell you why I might not have gotten the break completely through the chrysanthemum, as yeah. the mechanics would have, would have talked about it. Yeah. You feel like you did break through, though, with your... Uh, I was at the pre-blast okay, off. So, so I was like, four right that. as it was going into there, and... <laughs> My cat turned and looked at me and said, you're not ready for this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But it was, uh, it looked like a, um, uh, a jackal from uh, the uh, South American tradition mm -hmm. at the time. It had transformed into this very art deco, almost like landscape around me as she turned and looked. So uh, it definitely made me curious, but it also kind of let me know that, all right, I, I need to approach it consciously yeah. when I do it next time. That's good, man, that you had that take on it because you're being really honest with yourself and what you can gain from it. Maybe at that point, it just wasn't the right time. It, I was near a heartbreak kind of situation. There were a lot of things that were still in flux. It was probably not the best time to be... Yeah messing with my consciousness right right completely smashing it yes <laughs> right understood yeah so yeah the first time i would say i broke through and in, into an infinite love space and that that is just what that is right that was beautiful now the second time around which which brings us back to that uh, traveling ayahuasca group here within the states that i explored it was just a one night event this group had rented a lodge essentially in the middle of nowhere wherever we were in yeah. uh, kansas or in oklahoma there and it was cool everything was fine but the experience was was dark it was hellish was it because of the the company as well or no, i don't think so there was obviously a part of me that started to go through that analysis it's just that uh 
animalistic place blame everywhere else (laughs) for me i'm just like i know that set and setting are so big that when something like ayahuasca comes into effect if there's somebody throwing off the vibe somewhere that you start to feed onto that that level i was wondering if that still comes through on ayahuasca like it does on mushrooms yeah supposedly too with aya they are known or it is known to be a group hallucinatory sort of drug or it can be well in fact the i think they they called it uh yeah telepathamine yeah Yeah, exactly because they they you know they thought that they were reading each other's minds and who knows maybe they were Right, or there can be certainly a shared experience. Yeah, there. that's a very common type of report. So yeah, that might have been going on in some way, and I, I did explore that afterward. But basically, what the experience was was is it felt like a, a very dark and hellish space. You can almost think of like the river sticks or something, or yeah. all of the dead trying to pull you into i feel like at Uh, one point yeah yeah. that that vibe was certainly present i think there was even a visual of that and from there it turned into a carnival hypnosis wall of spiraling i want to say it was green and white and i was just watching this might have been the chrysanthemum it really might have been i never had it in front of me in that way before and now here i was fairly terrified i didn't know what was happening up until this point i had relatively good trips I mean they weren't like this and this was something totally other so and granted too I had consumed a good amount of this stuff and I wanted to make sure that I got everything I needed and at this point in my life just to to recap on that I was telling you I had finished writing that first book I was now working another mapping job I had finally gotten out of that really cushy one because it dissolved as all good things (laughs) do they do Right. So I was with another mapping company and this was like more of the real world. So I wasn't content at all with this job. I couldn't do it forever. And I knew that my life lacked direction. So that was one of the reasons that I was going to ayahuasca the second time around. Had written the book, didn't know I was going to write anymore, just didn't know anything. So my life was not all it could be and I knew it, but I wasn't exactly as conscious of that process, I suppose, as I could have been. And I think this is what was being delivered in a very focused, fear-centric way in this trip, this hell that I was in. So what this amounted to was me throwing these higher-order concepts at this this wall, this carnival wall. I was saying, well, love. Clearly, there is reality here, right? Truth. Constant of being. No? Compassion. All of these things. Nothing. Stonewalled. I was looking for validation, I suppose, from from ayahuasca. Absolutely nothing. I was feeling as if I was alone. I was there in the void, and that's what it felt like too, like the void, right? Like, don't give a shit about love. (laughs) The void doesn't care. And the void's empty. The void's empty. Yeah, and that that was terrifying. That was the first full realization i guess i had of of that element of existence now i'm not sure and i'm not making the claim that that's all that there is at the ground of everything i think that that exists within hyperspace like the void but i think there are other elements of it that also exist too and how you navigate to them is based upon how you navigate Hmm. and the way you make your choices your life choices Mm -hmm. so forth and so on so anyway the teaching at hand really was for me though look if you're not going to have the courage to competently push through the chrysanthemum at that point, physically in the trip or metaphysically, whatever, or push through in your life to find real fulfillment for yourself, quit your job and go try to accomplish on your own, right? Then you're, you're going to root in a version of this, this fear, this hell and your life, it's just going to be more diluted, but 
it's interesting you said that uh after one of my last trips it, it's kind of come to me that uh hell is what we make of it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so it's almost like i see where we're living now as really this plane as the the purgatory or the hell mm-hmm. where we're going through these tribulations and we're actually a lot more responsible for the um the things that present themselves through our other choices or through our previous choices and interacting with them uh, consciously can actually open up so many more levels that you just didn't even realize or think about before. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes to the Buddhist notion, too, of samsara and nirvana essentially being the same place. But what's different is, of course, your take on it, your perception, the depth of understanding that you have. And I think you only gain that by actually suffering, too, which mm-hmm. is also telling because that's considered by many religions to be like the core basis of reality suffering. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so for sure. And that just applied to that story as well. It was a suffering that was going on. Changes need to be made. And if they were not to be, well, I had no one to blame but myself. So coming out of that, I had to eventually quit that job, which was security, stability, and all of that. And I did so. And that was just taking the next call to adventure. And I attempted to launch into real estate, of all things. Really? Yeah. Well, real estate can be... Fun and rewarding while well, you also get to work with your hands if you're going to do any rehab kind of stuff. There's there's a lot to it. I can see that. That was part of it. Truly, it wasn't a concrete way. I just wanted to see more of the fruits of my labor as opposed to just flying yeah. this grid line pattern back and forth. It just seemed like mindless drone type work. Yeah. So that was part of it too. The real part was financial self-sustainability. I didn't want a job. I don't want a job. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, mean, <laughs> I want to be able to be creative yeah. and communicative and go where I need to go. Absolutely. And just live authentically on your own terms, essentially. Mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like is, is the journey, but you're not having to ask daddy for salary type thing yeah so, yeah so anyway that's what it was well i wasn't competent enough to venture into that unknown i was really naive and i thought that if i just basically told these people i was working with I, so i bought a house is what i did and it was a fixer-upper and i was intending to flip it yeah and i had some experience with this because i had owned a duplex which i rented out there in kansas city so I had done some work of this nature before. I just bit off way more than I can chew. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's just, it's, hey, it's a part of the call to adventure. You got to immerse in the unknown and either make it work or not. Unfortunately for myself in the past, I usually got lucky enough to make these situations work, which I say unfortunately because that, <laughs> that puts you into a false sense of confidence. Yeah. Like, oh, I could do it. I can do anything. I can do anything. Right. Well, I couldn't. And I just... <laughs> got smashed over and over again Uh, i realized how dark man is and i suppose this was because i was too naive to to integrate my own shadow i had sort of rose colored lenses on i just assumed the whole world had their five gram dose and they kind of saw infinite love and they were more or less interested in helping each other (sighs) yeah i I wish yeah (laughs) right right so you see this was folly based upon me just not having integrated any kind of darkness at all so I never engaged in that process within myself, I suppose, because I I didn't have to. But then when I engaged in this whole deal, I realized I would have to think like a thief and a criminal because that's who I was working with, criminal contractors and such, stealing from me and all this. 
Hell, Donald Trump made his money by not paying his contractors. It's just a part of the financial game, man. Yeah, it is that game, and that's what people don't realize. It is a game. It is certainly a game. Yeah, and and I couldn't really play it, and I I got a good look at the person who I would have to be to maybe maybe be successful, and I just realized I I couldn't do that. I was going to have to fold. I was going to have to take my losses, sell the house, and whatever I lost, which was a lot at that point. I would have to move on. So I went back essentially to like bottom of the barrel aviation flight instructing mm. in a, a summer there, 2018 of um, Missouri. It was so terrible, so hot, just the, the worst possible work you'd be uh. doing in aviation. But that was my sort of penance I had to pay. And this caused me to, to lean on my connections in the world in order to, to get into something else that would be more sustainable. And I ended up finding a friend here in Austin who had okay. a hookup with a cargo pilot company aviation job and he essentially wrote me a solid letter and got me in here to austin so you see that is what brought me then to austin which really began to catalyze the journey in many other ways that i couldn't have predicted so it was all seemingly part of of the call to adventure and ensuing journey so where has it taken you here in austin so i ended up moving here as i told you earlier about two and a half years ago and now here in Austin, it's given me the opportunity, the, the job, I'll just address first, to build myself back up financially, to get out of that disaster, yeah. which I did, so I corrected all of that. And then it just came to its natural end. This company I was working for the whole time I was here up until February of this year was, was good for me at the time. It was yes. what I needed to build back up and all of this. But... It got to the point where they were just getting increasingly absurd. And I don't think this is anything specific to me. I think the entire world is going through this right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's like the machine mind is just taking more and more liberties from us seemingly every every day, and certainly within jobs. I have many friends who are unemployed or who have gotten fired because they're just not going to put up with that anymore. It seems to be a, a grand transition. Uh <laughs> My boss used to think, my previous boss before I left in October, used to think I was a very valuable employee because I spoke my mind to him and I told him the truth and I wasn't a yes man. Used to. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That was the thing, is I didn't stop speaking the truth or or, uh, telling him what I thought. And eventually, uh, we butted heads enough to where we had to part ways. And I think that that's... That also reflects on where he's at in his journey as well as yeah. where I'm at on mine. And it's knowing that you can still interact with those with people and not necessarily take it personally. Yeah, right. Which is hard to do in the moment. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is in the moment. But it's like you were just talking about. He's on his deal. You're on yours. And they're just not going to be consistent any longer. They served their time. Exactly. Two years of a great job yeah. got me through what I needed to do. Um, I've been living comfortably in my house up there. Now it's time to look at the next, you know, next steps. Right, right, to progress on. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that leads me right to here, man. And it seems like in that way we're in similar shoes. I'm so. f- fresh out of the job and exploring the unknown now too. And the idea, I suppose, is just to, to do this, really, to talk to, to other people who are doing the same thing on their own journeys through, through podcasts specifically. And through writing the books, obviously, I'm trying to go more public with that. I've put my name yeah. fully and formally in all the books now, which I was previously hesitant to do because of aviation. Obviously, the two careers don't really jive. Was that why you took the traveling nobody that moniker? Was, yeah, initially, that was certainly it. There was sort of an artistic underpinning of that, too, which does 
fit with what I was saying earlier. It is simply that I've always kind of felt myself to be outside of any environment that I mm -hmm. was within or just someone taking it in as if anyone would take it in, you know, just that unbiased sort of perception or whatever. That always seemed to kind of be a core part of my, my being for whatever reason. And so I did have specifics, obviously, throughout yeah. the story, but more of the task at hand was to exemplify through my particular story the journey and then of course once i came into campbell it was like yeah there's a way to do this and if you become very familiar with that you could probably highlight some of these truths and wisdoms that, that apply to anyone if they're willing to, to see or absorb that then surely there will be value in the work uh your other books were uh the visionary series right so that was the nat natural evolution of psychedelic okay. heroes journey with the traveling nobody and Essentially, those, the Visionary Quest series, they came after my second ayahuasca okay. ceremony, that one in the United States where I had to quit my job. Yeah. So as I told you, I was trying to figure out real estate. I was really aimed at money yeah. more than anything else. And I wanted to stand on my own and all that, but I was still aimed at the dollar sign. Well, you, you think that dollars mean independence at some point. You can equate the two, and I certainly yeah. did at that time. Yeah. I think everybody in America seems to equate the two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there's some like undeniable truth to that, but money makes things easier. I mean, yeah, it can. with the whole... You can't buy happiness, but you can hope buy a whole new set of problems. <laughs> yes, and that's the thing to be aware of. And, and that's what I did for myself there. When I was aimed at the wrong thing, I was aiming at a whole new set of problems yep. that were only going to generate more. Yeah. So, I th and just as a side note on this too, you know what one of the things was that really began to allow me to see this clearly? When I was working this last cargo job, I was very close to the end. It was becoming increasingly more and more unbearable. You can feel the drain on yourself. Oh, you could feel the drain on yourself because you're doing the same repetitive tasks. You know you need to grow out of and all that, but the, the company was just straight up getting more absurd, more demanding. We'd work 16-hour days, man. Ugh. And that was sort of part of the job. I mean, we all signed up for it. We knew what we were doing there. But they would begin to scold us for getting food prior to a 16-hour day. I mean, just things like this is absurd, absolutely absurd. It reminds me, I worked at THQ, which is a game company, when I first moved to L.A., uh, trying to follow my dream screenwriting, and I ended up getting this job as a game tester, thinking, oh, it's going to be great. And I get in, they put me on the premiere team doing the PC games, which are apparently like the hard to get into, and I get there the last quarter, they're like, okay, we uh, we tend to do 96-hour weeks or so. You don't have to come back home. <laughs> you, you can sleep. We've got these couches here. <laughs> it's just like, oh, so this is why everybody burns out. That's just that machine mind run amok again, man. Exactly. Like, yeah. And I, I'm, I lasted that one quarter, and then I was done. And I went into IT and operations and uh, moved on to a new journey. Even that's impressive. The last quarter. Oh, in conditions. it was not. It was not uh, pleasant. But um, I, I have to tip my hat to the people who can actually stand through there and make it through those fires and yeah. turn something creative out of it. Yeah, for sure. It's like sprinting, though. Just oh yeah. By definition, you can't do it forever. You've got to stop. Yeah. But the company doesn't seem to understand that. No. And that's just that machine mind. That's what I was saying. Seems sort of to be happening at large here in the world just i agree getting worse yeah so so anyway with all of that it just came to its natural end and it, it stuck me here into austin with with the next series of books so back to that visionary quest series that's really what i'm trying to to run with now because i feel like it uh 
it has much of that everyman perspective sculpted and molded in, in a way that is entertaining and hopefully useful too. Uh, I was working with a marketing company for, for the books to help design covers that were pretty legit and all of this. And one of the people I was working with said, they're sort of like psychedelic parables. Like a parable has a yeah. moral, you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, yeah, I guess they are. And in short, what they are is they're, they're short books, which are just the, the trip reports. They're a couple thousand words per chapter, about 11 chapters per book. That traces my integration of okay. these lessons through. I actually lived them out. So quitting jobs and going through heartbreaks and all of this and all of the other. Opening yourself up very yeah. intimately for everybody there. And that's essentially what it's been. I mean, as much as I can, the task has been to be as authentic as is possible. Put it out there. And and then hopefully that'll connect you to the next thing you, you need in the world. And so that's what's happening right now. So we've talked a lot about the hero's journey and living authentically. Um, I want to kind of touch on how might we recognize things like that in our own lives? Where where do you suggest people pay attention? That's a good question. It's different for everyone, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's tough to to give any kind of blanket statement, but I will, of course. I'll give, it, <laughs> I'll give an abstract one. That I, I think, like it. Yeah, that I think holds true. So my path has been this visionary path, and, and yours certainly seems to involve elements of the psychedelics too. Absolutely. It seems like I it, think plant medicine can help the world oh absolutely and i do too or we th think that as well because we have seen the benefits from them and we've understood that yeah on a personal level i'm not sure that that's gonna be the case for everyone at least depending on where they are in their journey i, I do also agree i think everyone could probably benefit from a psychedelic experience but should they choose to want to integrate it and understand it and that's it it's a difference between okay let's do this and okay, let's sit with this. Yeah. And there, there is a big difference. I do think it takes experimental. I mean, it takes, yeah. you know, just diving in that first one and realizing, okay, there is more. Now I want to sit back and look at it. Um, but I think I, I was wondering if it was similar to you. Like for me, getting quieter in my own head is what led me to be able to hear that inner voice a little bit clearer. That's good. And then that actually is a perfect segue into the abstract point I was going to make there. I was simply saying that maybe that's been part of our journey, the psychedelics, but yeah. and a big part of mine, obviously, with writing through those <laughs> lenses. Yeah. For sure. But if I were to give uh, how can you get in touch with this journey, I think what you said really hits the nail on the head or something very close to it. Just knowing that that call to adventure is for each and every one of us. And it, it comes forth to us, to, to ourselves, probably from the capital S self. It's a call to development, to grow, and to learn in the world. And you can hear that. And you, you probably wouldn't even argue with this, or most wouldn't. But then, of course, as we were talking about, you might deny it. You might say, oh, I can't do that. That doesn't fit within my, my job structure. How am I going to go out to the desert for a month? I've got a job. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. How am I going to go take this road trip for a month and a half? I... You just got to do it sometimes. You just got to do it. Yeah. So if there's anything that I find myself saying more and more, which I think is generally applicable, it doesn't have anything to do with the psychedelics, but it has everything to do with the fact that I have found, which is that you are that hero of your life. You are the individual and the hero has his or her calls to adventure that iterate over and over again. And if you take them, you are now initiating a version of the journey, the cycle of it for yourself. And that 
is something to engage in. It is potentially the most worthwhile thing to engage in because you're you're developing your understanding, you're deepening your picture of reality. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. If you do that, now you're giving yourself the best chance to find the, the kingdom of heaven within. Yes. Yeah, which can be how you see the world without too kind of thing. Yeah. I think that... Uh the Christian uh, culture that we tend to grow up in in the West um, lost touch with meditation, which is just prayer in another form as well. There's, there's just different ways of looking and thinking at things. And as I see your chakras over yeah. here, uh, it actually brings me to one of the things that um, one of my realizations from one of my trips is... That the, our crown chakra, that silver string that's there, mm -hmm. I almost feel like that is calling out from our idealized future. One of the, you know, it's attached to all of the multiverse possibilities that we could, you know, evolve through with our choices in this realm. But if that voice is speaking out to us and you're actually listening to it consciously, you're getting advice from the future self that you want to be. That's beautiful. That's truly beautiful. I've had a really parallel interpretation of intuition. Yes. During the trip. Yeah. Intuition essentially showed me something very similar. The concept, I guess, was presented as being what you just kind of said. I, I almost physically had a view of it in the, the grid work hyperspace of mm -hmm. reality. And intuition was like the compass by which you can navigate that is calibrated to the most developed self or something like that. At any given point, we're faced with all these branches of time, but... If you're listening to yourself, you can choose the ones that are going to be more valuable for you. That's a really good way to put it, too. And, and that applies as well to the call to adventure, right? Because you're listening to yourself's call from, from the future, from a place of more higher developed presence or something. Yeah. Now, there, um, there are three main subsections for you know, the hero's journey that, you know, right roughly broke down into the the uh, three-act structure of uh, movies and stuff like that and books and anything when you're going with there. Um, the first, uh, well, there's separation, initiation, and return, right? Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about separation. Yeah, separation, I just put that on what we're talking about right now. That's the call to adventure. Yes. As, as far as I think about these things, it, nowadays is more or less like it, it should actually be pretty simple. So I'm really glad you brought that up in the three-act process. That's sort of what it is. Separation, what is that? It's the call to adventure. That's simple. Some thing that may happen to you in your life or some intuition that you get which tells you to do something that you ordinarily wouldn't do. Most and that would be like the refusal to the call, right? Where that, you're like, no, no. That certainly could be. And just to give you a concrete on that, not too long ago, the last major vision quest I took was out in the desert here in Texas. Mm. And I was similarly, again, in a forced meditation. I had an all-night flight that particular day, and it was during the day, so I was trying to sleep, to rest up and do the responsible thing. Of course, I couldn't. And what came to me was go out to the desert for four days and four nights and merge with source. <laughs> that was essentially it. And I said, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. I had never done anything like that before. I never spent four days and nights in the wilderness alone. I never even really back-roaded. 
Really? Yeah, and where I went ended up requiring that. Unfortunately, wow. my, my vehicle was able to handle it. Good. Yeah. I wouldn't do that in my Mustang right now. <laughs> no, not the best of options. Um, a Wrangler is what I what I have, so that, that worked out pretty well for that. But anyway, the, the point I'm making there is I just gave myself all of these excuses why I shouldn't do this. And this is someone who's generally aware of this process yeah. unfolding, right? So even me or whatever. I mean, we could all do this because there's, there's nothing different about me. We're all the same hero. So what the hero says a lot of times is, nah, I'm yeah. not going to jump in. <laughs> nah. into the unknown. Yeah, why the I'm pretty comfortable that? right now. Do I really want to do that? Yeah, why? why? I mean, just... <laughs> and so that's a real part of it. But uh, assuming that you you see that, you see that resistance and, and you, you do it anyway for whatever reason, now... I think you give yourself the best chance to productively deal with the unknown because it's like the unknowns probably coming anyway, right? One way or the other. And a good counter example maybe is a relationship. Now, could the unknown be considered that supernatural aid in either direction, good or bad? Um, or how do you look at that? I don't. I think the unknown is the territory. It is essentially like the next stage of the journey, I guess, the initiation in which you're, you're immersed in the under, underworld. So within there, you can run into supernatural aids, I think, or at least that's the way okay. I frame it. But that's sort of like chaos. And I don't mean just pure destruction. It, can, it certainly can be. But chaos has a bad rep. Right. But <laughs> the, other, the positive side of chaos is generation. Genesis, yeah. too. Absolutely. Well, I, you, like the Phoenix that we talked yeah. about, you have to tear down to build back up. That's it, man. You, you Both are required elements mm -hmm. of the process, yeah. And so that seems to be what you are in, in the unknown, in chaos. And, and the reason I say voluntarily, too, is because if you're just rocked by that, there can be the impulse to just shut down and shield and just weather, weather the storm, batten the hatches yeah. and all of this, and not really gain a ton from it. Now, Chaos, it's rough. I mean, it can be oh, yeah. Yeah, extremely damaging and such. So it's nothing necessarily to play around with, but it seems like if you know the potential of it really wrecking you and you go in as fortified as you possibly can, now you give yourself a chance to navigate in there, I, I think. And I know this all sounds abstract, but I, I think there's real value there that you know... Um, at least in some sense, the outline, you know, of the journey. Yeah. yeah. If you are unaware, then you're still stumbling. Yeah. If you're aware, then you're at least stumbling with direction. <laughs> right. And that might be all that is required, just to have a little bit of direction. I, I often think about this too, like being out at sea with nothing at all other than being on a ship. You've got no compass, nothing. That sucks. That might be the first version of what you just put forth there. You're just stumbling. Now, if you have a compass, that might not immediately lead you to land, but hell, it's a lot better than not having that compass. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, it also reminds me a little bit, um, do you know Jordan Peterson at oh, all? Oh, absolutely. I'm reading his new book now. I oh. just read some this morning. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I need to get that here soon. Um, but I, I listen to a lot of his podcasts, a lot of his lectures and stuff, and he talks about that uh, aim. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have a high aim and if you you're stumbling around but you're at least aiming in the right direction you're a whole lot more likely to hit that or something close yeah than you know crashing back to earth 
Yeah, I watch one of his videos on that topic often, and it almost always brings me to tears if I pay attention to it. And his tagline, and that which usually does it for me, is you might be wishing on the wrong star, but at least it's a star. At least it's in the sky. And at least it moved you forward. Yeah, I think there's so like much that. truth to that. And what the hell do you know? Anyway, that's what yeah. he says. He's like, well, <laughs> you don't know what pure paradise itself would be because you don't have that interpretive structure yet ready and able yeah. to even appreciate it or integrate it. Certainly not. So that's like the heroic cycle to my mind. It's, it's giving you the depth necessary to, to find the Godhead maybe. So then... Uh Explain a little bit about the what you see as supernatural aid. So, yeah. So that's still in the separation phase, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. Supernatural aid would be... Right before crossing the threshold. The threshold. Yeah, I guess it would be Now, I'm sure funner. that supernatural aid also, you would see it throughout your journey. Throughout the journey, yeah. But it's the first recognition, maybe? The thing that comes to mind immediately is, like, the, the mentor. Mm-hmm. So, especially when it is in the separation stage. This is... Obi-Wan for Luke. Yes. Right? Absolutely. That example that we're all super familiar with. And yeah, you're right. I guess that is typically, well, that is where it is in the hero's journey. I, by direct experience, almost never think about it being at that place. (laughs) (laughs) We all come to it in a weird way, right? And I only say that because it it has seemed to me that I use it or I seek it out when I'm I'm getting rocked, when I'm in the unknown and chaos. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So the purpose of the mentor, I suppose, would be to, I think, point at the moon. Like the Buddhist phrase would say, it's the finger pointing at the moon. And of course, in that situation, you don't look at the finger too terribly long. You look upon the moon. But if you did not know the moon was there, the finger would be really useful. Mm -hmm. You might argue it would be absolutely necessary for the mentor or the guru even, or the aide to point you in the direction that you need to go. However, then the journey is, is upon you. They can, they can aid, but they can't do it for you. And that would be crossing the threshold. Then I suppose, yeah, they're pointing you toward the, th- the threshold, right? And uh, as you've accepted it, you're going there, now you uh, go through the initiation. Yep. And that would be, it starts with the belly of the whale. Yeah, so this I think most people understand is the dark night of the soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just as simple as that where you're completely committed to the journey you you can't you can't get out of it you're at the darkest possible point of it you're jonah in the whale yeah yeah so from here you ha- you're looking at the void i guess right to tie it back to that trip and i guess the way that i i talk about that when i do is well what do you do in in the presence of that what is there to do? What would a person do? Whatever you can, in some sense, to move forward on the journey. You can't quit. I guess that is what that stage represents, is it's beyond the point of quitting. If you were to just quit, you would just die. Yeah. You would just be lost in the void. And that's yeah. not really an option to life itself or intelligence itself. At least it's not one that uh, we aim for. <laughs> no, it, maybe it is despair. I mean, maybe, maybe this is part of the reason people could get caught. In chaos because you do get caught in meaninglessness perhaps in the void um yeah i guess that's a good point it's possible but i don't think that's where any person ultimately wants to be no. if you've given the choice yeah right you may stick yourself there for indeterminate amounts of time as you're processing or dealing with things but 
hopefully your goal is to get out of there. Right. And so that leads us back to what do you do when you're in that position, when you're, you're facing the dark night of the soul? And that's why I say, I think just practically whatever you, you can to aim at a star to move forward. And that'd be the road of trials. Yeah. From doing whatever you can, it's not as if it's just given to you. Yeah. Now you, you're given, I think the opportunity to actually sculpt your tools in the journey to sculpt your your philosophies to sculpt what's going to actually work for you it's like you're given you're given the rule set or something of the un, in the unknown and you have to go through suffering the dark night of the soul in order to understand there's new rules here what you were previously working with is not going to work so now it seems like you're given tests in order to help you learn that new rule set but it it's not any kind of answer that's given to you at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So this goes back to what I was telling you before when I jumped out of my pilot job and to go into real estate. I thought this was the call to adventure. I'm going to go do this and things are going to work out. Well, no, that's not the way it worked. I was given the new rule set. I was shown thieves, liars, assholes, everything, all of the above. And it was up to me to then navigate there with those examples, those trials. And that did force me in that way to integrate the shadow, mm. to complexify my view of man and to get rid of this naive notion that we all basically want the best for each other because that's simply not true. <laughs> I'd like to think we do. I, I try to live that way myself, but I don't necessarily put that uh, intention into others. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to hold up unfortunately and that's why i was saying before i had previously kind of viewed the world as though everyone had had their five grams and it's all the benefits of that but but they haven't the world is not exactly that way so the road of trials does give you the opportunity to to take in reality i guess to exercise right view through the trials so um then there's also meeting with the goddess which we talked a little bit about in your journey before um and temptation yeah Real quick on meeting with the goddess, I think that's necessarily after the road of trials because this process is rough. Yeah. So it could kind of root you in some darker elements of yourself, more assertive elements of yourself than maybe you're completely balanced. So then after that, it seems like the meeting with the feminine spirit, the receptive spirit, the loving spirit is actually almost required to sort of rejuvenate an element of yourself that's going to be necessary to propel you through the journey because it's obviously not about being all assertive all the time and it's not about the opposite but it's a balancing of masculine and feminine it's very interesting you say that because uh, i've had this vision a couple of times while we've been talking and um it's very much like uh you and I tend, I, I get this feeling about you, tend to have a very masculine side. You were raised in the testosterone era of, you know, manliness. You're supposed to be out there and, you know, go there. But um, it's really about integrating those, those both parts into your whole and uh, finding a comfortable balance, like you said, integrating the feminine from the goddess and realizing that uh, you can still have your masculinity. You can still have your assertiveness and who you are, but that uh, you have to open up to both. Yeah, it's required to balance both the middle way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a 
important point of the journey that does necessarily come after the road of trials and then from there at temptation now temptation i kind of lost my thread on this earlier man but i'm glad we're back to it so i was talking about how my job was getting increasingly unbearable yeah. right so i was up in the cockpit i was flying one of the last flights and i was listening to a podcast that talked about this i didn't just think of it myself but the figure eight symbol right the mm -hmm. infinity that is a complete version of the the money symbol if you think oh, about yeah. it it's the uh what was it the line in between the cash actually stops it from yeah. completing it's the bar it's yeah. barring it barring off. it off yeah. that's what it was it's, yes that's exactly it yeah and i drew that out during that flight and i just said to myself it's either a path of money or a path of of source and quite literally, the money is representation of half of it being barred off. The God of man is half of actual source, that type of thing. So that, as tied to temptation, yeah. self-evident, right? Like money, materiality. Oh, yeah. like, That's yeah. our main temptation in this world is the physical, you know. And money is our identification with that in the West, for sure. Well, yeah, just materiality. Yes. I mean, in, in general. Yeah, and like the money symbol just seems to be a good representation of that in one thing, for sure. It is also super noteworthy, too, that the way the 17-stage cycle is broken down, temptation is about the 6 o'clock position of the circle. Okay. Which would be the antithesis, the exact polar opposite of the, the 12 o'clock position, obviously. And I don't know if Campbell ever did that himself, but... If you check yeah. that out behind you, I have at the 12 o'clock position, the figure eight, which is like where you come from and where you return to source itself. Absolutely. So source being like the opposite end of the spectrum from where temptation is, from where the money symbol. I like be, that. Right? Yeah. So that's something to, to watch out for because it could get you. You could be caught in the illusion. And if you're navigating with a f flawed set of navigational principles or something or tools, mm -hmm you're never going to get to any kind of destination at all. You're just going to be adrift. So how do you move from temptation into uh, atonement with the Father? Yeah, atonement with the Father is one that I've experienced quite literally with my Father throughout wow. the journey. Yeah, and the exact draw from, from being caught in the illusion into a atonement, a recognition of the father and and not only that of of the death of the father too that's another psychological trope that i think is within the cycle it's when the person comes to understand that they really are leading their life they're manning their ship there is no one else including the father figure that is able to help them anymore that recognition and simultaneous acceptance of it of, of sort of that you are the father of, of your life too. That is key. I really like that. Uh, I, I also like uh, language play. So like a tone is one I've always uh, liked because it's at one. Mm -hmm. You become at one with the person that you're That's trying to go fitting. through. Yeah, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's, it's called out to me for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so then when you get to that point, I think Carl Jung actually said this can happen metaphorically, especially for a man and yeah. his father, that the father can sort of metaphorically die. I think Freud more held that it had to be a literal death. Like when, when a person's father literally dies well, then yeah. they don't have that as an option any longer. Yeah. In any case, I think the point that we both were making there is, is what holds. Yes. Yeah. 
So then uh, explain apostasis a little bit. Yeah, so this is death, basically. This is, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this through your your knowledge of the hero's journey when it applies to script and such. Isn't it common yeah. for the hero to almost have to appear to be dead or to go through some kind of... The point of no return. Yes, okay. There it yes. is. So absolute no return, right. And that could be thought of as a death of the version of you that started the journey, like the full formal death of it. The uh, phoenix before the rising. Yep. As simple as that. And that's often how I think about that one. So I guess up until that point, there's still been parts of you that have survived or have hung on, even though you're developing other parts of yourself. But you're clinging to those things. Right. That's, that's part of it. I think so. I think that could be it. And now you get to some event or circumstance, whatever. And that's no longer possible. But not only is it no longer possible because of the journey, it's like you recognize it again. Because in the step before, you've atoned, right? At one with the father, you are the father. So you are no longer the son. You see, you've released this. And because of doing so, now you are emboldened and enabled to proceed. You're not the son or the daughter. You're your own individual. Yep. Yep. So then what's the, uh, the ultimate boon? The ultimate treasure. Okay, this one I have a super concrete answer for, although it's really abstract. <laughs> <laughs> I like concrete and abstract, so let's hear it. I think what this is, for this is the treasure. That's really what it is, the ultimate treasure of a quest, which could be thought of as a truth, a lesson, all of these things, obviously. But what I think it really is for every one of us is highest and best personal use. That's what I think the treasure is. And I think all of our journeys are to seek highest and best personal use. What's so, calling out to your individual self. Yep. And how could you best be used in the world for yourself? But then, of course, not only in that way, but if you find that, which, again, I think is so real. I think it's a hyper-real pathway within the matrix of life. If you find that thing, your, your calling, your purpose, maybe, in the world now... By integrating that, not to totally jump ahead, but by bringing that into the world, returning mm-hmm. that to the collective, you simultaneously find the best way to be for the good of your fellow man as well. Well, and that that leads directly into that, and that's the you know, possible refusal of return, um, right. where you're debating with yourself if you're going to be doing yeah, this, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the return, like you just said, uh, is the, the, the last of the three acts, right? Right. Um, so that's when you're bringing your gifts back into your everyday life. You're you're utilizing that not just for yourself, like you said. Um, for me, it's weird to to be talking about it uh, as freely as I do at this point. But years ago, I felt called to do to build a self sustained planned community, and that is the direction that things are starting to finally line up for, and things are that's actually. Part of the reason I took this trip was to look for property out here and start to look at the path of where that's going to be. I think I mentioned uh, Kerrville as a kid yeah, and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely, this is the area that's calling out that I need to be in. Um, and I just see the, my value in that community is not for myself as much as to help the others that I can bring into it. Yeah, right. And so... I try and keep that as my ideal along my journey wherever I'm going. But um, 
getting to that point is is the actual path. Well, right? well, yeah, it's work. Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's not as if you found this thing and you're you're fairly certain it is correct, but now you actually have to bring that home. Have to keep listening to that voice. You have to keep yeah. getting to those places. So, in the return, what's the magic flight? Mm, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think magic flight is something along the lines of because the next one is rescue with wow, yes, right, yeah. So is that the we'll skip magic flight because I'm not a hundred percent sure what Campbell specifically would have meant by that. I don't exactly recall, but I think that and certainly wrapping into the rescue from without is when you are still in the underworld, you're still in the unknown, and seemingly you you have your direction set. But for whatever reason, you can't quite make it back because the journey changes you. Yes. I mean, fundamentally. I think this applies to many people in their lives. When, when you, you take your call, you go out, you go do something, maybe years have gone by. And now, for some people, myself included, it's very difficult to interact with friends and family that you previously had at the beginning of the journey. Right, they expect you to be one version of yourself yeah. that you are no longer. Yeah, exactly. So, p- part of the rescue, I think, is sort of like um, supernatural aid, almost in the sense that you you get any number of circumstances delivered to you that tells you the goal probably should be to connect with this new thing that you found, the treasure, highest and best use that you found. So although you were alienated from the known world in in the journey previous to that point, once you have found the highest and best use and you have confidence in it, you should want to bring that forth not only to the the world, but also like your previous world too, because that's still a part of it. You know, it's it's integral. You really do want to connect. Well, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about that when he goes into the uh, the Pinocchio uh, analogy and he starts pulling out from the movie there where you're actually uh, rescuing your father uh, from the uh-huh. belly of the whale instead of just, you know, uh, yourself. You're, you're actually pulling that forward and you're bringing it to your past as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can really understand Yes. And to the best of your ability, what happened there, what the whole point was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about this often, too, in um, the levels of, of consciousness psychologically. So without going into to all of them, they're very simple. Of course, they could be broken down in all kinds of different ways. But it's pretty well revered that psychologically there are like five levels of awareness or consciousness. And the first one is egoic. The next is ethnocentric, meaning you understand the rules. You could listen to the rules of society. The one above that would be meaning, so you can touch on the actual meaning of them. You don't have to abide by all rules because yeah. you, you know what the actual meaning is. Above that is integral. So that, I think, ties to what we're, we're talking about here. It's You've been in the world of meaning for long enough that you you don't, of course, you don't need to follow any rules, but now the work is not to understand the meaning. You've done that. But the next integral stage is to speak the language of those you were seeking to connect with so that you effectively have brought that meaning forth into the world. You have done your work 
or whatever. That would be the crossing the return threshold. I think so. I think that element of it speaks to that because you're attempting to initiate the integration stage. And that's sort of what that is. And this might not almost be self-evident at first. You know, once you find the highest and best use in all of this, you might just think, well, I'm, I'm going to continue on in, in this world, in this magical world or whatever that you've developed for yourself. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to return the information home to begin that process and to help the next generation or the next because it's a cycle. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, it's cyclical, for sure. And anyway, the I guess take home I'm trying to make on that is it's it's not clear all the time that that should happen. So some things often guide you in that way and it might just be that you're constantly isolated and alienated and you realize this sucks. <laughs> the point of this. It's not that the journey has been pointless. It's just that maybe your view of it now needs to evolve and that's to begin the initiation part of the return. Yeah. Which can be magic flight. You're magically sort of being returned to the value at hand here and then rescue from without by aids that are going to help you in that process. And then after you've brought all those back, after you've integrated them into your life, that's when you're almost the master of two worlds. You've got your past and your present while you're helping people with the future as well. Yep. Something along those lines. You have balanced the feminine and the masculine, the non-physical and the physical, of course, all of these binaries that there are. And now from this point, hopefully, you are able to enjoy a full appreciation of the entire cycle, which is not just that there are many, we descend into the many from the one or something like this, and then that could be the illusion, right? From there, the hero says, well, no, I'm proceeding toward the one, only the one, there is only one. Then you get up to the one, if you've done all this, you've integrated, and now you say, well, what next? Of course, another iteration, but if you go through again, hopefully, the understanding there is, well, the many are comprised of the one. See, this is like the non-dual understanding of the yeah. real thing, yeah. And then that would take you to the freedom to live where you're actually... I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the freedom to live. If you've sought to understand as much as you can and you've gotten to a point where you don't fear anything any longer because what's the point? You've realized the one and the many, the many and the one, and you've seen the thing play itself out, then you don't have the fear. It's just not present. You just have love and in that liberation freedom. Well, uh, you talked a bit about uh, portals and the multiverse. Yeah. I know we touched a little bit on it, but um, the way I heard you describe portals almost feels like uh, chapter points in a choose-your-own-adventure. Mm. So the way I see it is like like I showed you that branching time where you're, you're, you're at that decision point. Um, there are always obstacles that you know, life is putting in your path, and you're having to choose from there. Um, it's through those choices you can continue either along the current consensus reality that we've kind of built or that we assume there's this one world that we're living in, right? Uh, or maybe talk about switching over into a new reality that might be more suitable for your current level of awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that similar to how you see it? Yeah, s similar. I think it is sort of like a track change or something okay. like that. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's... It, I mean, I've thought about this in, in a, a few Please. different ways. But yeah, in the past, I guess traditionally for me, I think we, we are presented with these track changes time in and time out. And when they come into our lives, and of course you could call this a call to adventure too, but you sort of recognize it. You just know it. There's, there's a gravity to the situation at hand. 
and you, you I think you are in a very practical way faced with a fork you could do this or you could do that and you kind of have the knowing there behind it that it's going to fundamentally change have you heard the uh, I think it's Nietzsche's phrase uh, time is a flat circle yeah I did a post uh, on Twitter at one point about that uh, and the Taurus field. Oh, and so yeah. if you look at the Taurus field from above, it actually would look like a flat circle mm-hmm. spiraling into itself. Mm-hmm. And so I could totally see that where um, you're with those infinite possibilities. You're not necessarily like switching, but it's like, a, like you said, a track change. Mm-hmm. You're just going into that next level up or maybe the next level down. It Mm. kind of depends on where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have also thought about it, though, too, that let's say the multiverse does exist, right? And I don't think this is a hard sell at all, if you'll accept that, that it, it does seemingly have the possibility to exist i guess mainstream physics is essentially able to prove this somehow but some mathematically way that, that they, i don't understand yeah. it's for damn sure but mathematically yeah. they they can't unify physics without some level of uh, multi-dimensionality right 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 so if we're to accept just the the infinite universe mm-hmm. theory that's everything has existed and does simultaneously all information is just there present well the way that perhaps we are navigating through infinite information is through consciousness through life through the heroic journey and specifically though i think then every instant is an ability to do what i was just talking about to course correct or change tracks or something like that Move closer to that higher calling. Yeah, move closer to it, or or not, uh, or, or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can choose to sink as far down as you want, right? Because it's all free will. I mean, this dimension definitely pivots on free will, and so you have it available to you at every moment. And and that kind of pairs nicely too with what we were talking about before, with what depression is. It's like getting caught in a loop of, of forecasting the world in a certain way, which is fundamentally probably not even true, but it doesn't matter to you subjectively because you're caught within those. Yeah binds so it's empowering seemingly to think about the world that way and i have at various times in my life even deliberately tried to implement that to say hey i i have agency here and i could course correct anytime any anywhere really right and that's impossible to argue with and at the same time like i said rather empowering so i think about that in a tool-like manner that it could be used productively uh, while we're on this and before we wrap up, thank you so much yeah. for your time, by the way. Um, have you ever thought much about the simulation theory? I have. And we talked a little bit earlier about this uh, through notes. But yeah, I think it stands to reason that we are not in base level reality. Mm. And sorry, I kind of interrupted no, you. But, but yeah, but go- yeah that, that seems uh, terrifying, <laughs> actually, in many <laughs> ways. But I'm just kind of joking. I'm not surprised at all if that were to be found to be true. Well, like um, like you're saying, the base level reality we talked about a little bit before, with just between the two of us, mm-hmm. um, it's increasingly less likely that we're in base reality if we are working towards a system where we could plug in and have our consciousness there. Um, so if we're working towards that and we're going to eventually, we think, and science right now says we're going to get there where we can basically create a world that's indistinguishable from reality. Um, that kind of leads me to wonder if um, 
the questions of freedom, uh, free will, as well as virtual slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on one of my trips, I actually heard when I was talking with somebody that was or was not me, <laughs> uh, the phrase trapped in a tryptamine prison. Uh, as tryptamines like mushrooms, acid, DMT, all of these things, they unlock some of those uh, abilities for us to... Actually, what I think it does is it takes away some of the filters that our brain already imposes on the world to give us the the general structure we see in day-to-day life. So would a tryptamine prison, doesn't that sound like a kind of a description of a matrix. Yeah. Tryptamine prison. Do you mean like life normally when we're just like, sober? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like we're trapped to our senses in here. Yeah. And then the, the tryptamines actually help us unlock or get rid of some of those filters that are already overlaid on top. Of right. Us. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I understand you clearly. Yeah. I, I think so. I think that's kind of what is happening in one way or the other. And this goes to very ancient ideas about the grand illusion. About Maya, right? The same thing, Mm -hmm. yeah. In the clear white light. I did once have a dream where I did exit the whole thing. And it was a dream. It was not a trip. Not that it matters too much, but that's where it came from. And so I literally was proceeding through my consciousness was this uh, portal, I guess. It was a a tunnel, really, sort of a space-like, almost as if I was on a ship of some sort, spaceship. And I was opening these doors. And eventually I got to the, the clear white light which was just mm. that it was like the whole thing was leading you to that source or something like, and the whole thing by that, yeah. I mean like life. Yeah. I, all right. So I talked about this a little bit on the intro at one point. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it again here. I don't talk about it often, but, um, before I got arrested, <laughs> I, I was in the middle of a conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about, um, uh, breeding cannabis and, um, I had had a uh, small mushroom chocolate that somebody had told me was a cannabis chocolate. So there was some tryptamine involved in all of this. But it was a spontaneous, I was in my kitchen, spontaneously just stopped. All of a sudden, to Dan, the person I was talking to, uh, he didn't notice any difference as far as me being gone. For me, all of a sudden, I was absorbed in a white light of all pure feeling. There was no like one feeling. It was just a feeling of feelings. I was stuck there and I, I heard myself, this is it. I can stay here or I can live life. And then all of a sudden I was back in my kitchen. Time did this very weird speed up thing where I like couldn't, uh, I was not in charge for a little while. And, uh, after I got arrested because my ex called the cops, uh, um, I was actually uh, in the back of the cop car coming down off of whatever this was, but it felt like I was still in that white light. And it felt like I could see people hovering over me telling me that, no, he's got to go back in. It's not time yet. It's not his time. And it was a very weird feeling like, uh, to link it back to Matrix or Neo, like somebody was trying to make sure I was still plugged in for yeah. a little while. I still had the jack in the back of the head. <laughs> it's a very interesting experience and not one I have uh, repeated since. So, Yeah, man, that's really wild. And that is telling in terms of what we're talking about, too. I, 
I, I don't really even think that there's much sense to argue with that kind of experience because it seems to be reported in the whole near-death space and all of that, too, category of experience that is something like the, the clear white light. Of course, that has all kind of hang-ups associated with it, with religion. And all Absolutely. That but yeah, is there some kind of underpinning basis to that? There vi- might very well be. Both of us certainly have had the experience, and we're just kind of comparing notes on it. Do you think that that... Um do you feel for yourself that it's that calling that you're still here to do more that keeps you? Yeah, I think so. I really do. I, when you talk about all of this, what it comes down to to me is it's it's really cool to talk about these things. It's fun. We both yeah. enjoy it, obviously. Yeah. But there's got to be a kind of rubber meets the road somewhere, right? There's traction. There's got to be traction somewhere. So if we talk about void and say pure nihilism and meaninglessness and all of this. And we say, I was telling you earlier, I've kind of been there and you were to say, Oh yeah, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, it was. And now we talk about sort of the opposite end of that and this pure bliss white light. They're both, I guess, equally cool to talk about, but in within our day in day out lives, they are insufficient motivators seemingly, at least to me. So where rubber does meet the road for me really is with the, the heroic cycle and then living that out because ultimately I, I'm not the Godhead. I am not the infinite. I'm here as a representation of it. So too are you, and we all are. But within our lives, we are a limited version of that that is able to understand and experience whatever it can. And the way that it can do so is by exploring productively the cycle, I think, or something along those lines. So I don't spend a ton of time worrying about the clear white light or the void you know it's like either either one i think trying to get to either one will actually cause you not to that might be extremely valid too and that goes to the buddha's ideas about when he was asked of the afterlife to just reply with thunderous silence it's like not i'm not gonna not gonna go there that's (laughs) sort of beside the point man yeah so i think similarly that happens to be the case now if you say to yourself though too and this is a very Peterson thing to say what is going to look better in my life as a philosophy nihilism or something that is growth centric uh, that's undeniable it's growth centric it certainly is if you've ever gotten decent at anything in your life ever you know that it's just better when you develop a certain amount of confidence to play that game than it was when you were the fool but they're both part of the process the only point I'm making is it's more enjoyable it's more fun when you grow in understanding. And I just cannot fundamentally get away from growth there. I think that's key. I think it is as well. It reminds me very much of uh, bodhisattvas and you know the idea that once you're awake, it's almost your duty to come back and help others and make sure that you can elevate everybody to right. those kind of levels. Right, to end the suffering of your fellow man, that would be the charge, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end this. Thank you so much for your time. Before we go, what's the best way for people to find you or get your books and any of that? Yeah, thank you. Travelingnobody.net is where everything is linked up. And there's also a new podcast I'm going to just start now or have been starting, Traveling Nobodies, where we do the same exact thing, sit down and compare notes, and that will also be linked through Travelingnobody.net. Awesome. Hope to have you back again. Thank you very much, my friend.
Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I had a blast talking to the traveling nobody, and it was definitely a thought-provoking conversation. I want to thank him and also give a special thanks to all of our listeners. You are the reason I'm doing this. Please tell your friends about us, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever else you're listening, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Every podcast says that because it really does help with visibility. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. Thanks again. Have a blessed day.